One of the things that make theme parks like Disneyland and Universal Studios across the world so exciting is because in many of these amusement parks, we are transported into another world. We experience something that is different or apart from the present reality that we live. Whether it be running with a dinosaur in, in Universal Studios' Jurassic Park experience, or for a little girl being transformed into a, a princess by entering one of Disney's many princess castles, or for a young boy becoming a fighter ace as he steps into a 4D flight stimulator. These are all great experiences. In fact, Christians are getting into this experience, novelty idea. There's a Noah's Ark experience in Hong Kong where you get to be with Noah and all the animals. There is a Holy Land experience in Orlando, Florida. If you're too scared to go to the real Holy Land in Israel, you can go to Florida. There's even a Nazareth experience where you can go to Nazareth, Israel and experience what it was like in 1st and 2nd century to know what Jesus went through as he lived in the area of Galilee. Well, these are all fun and something we definitely enjoy. There is an adventure, there is an experience that I have not seen in this world. In the many attractions, there is no such thing as the lion experience. There is a lion king experience, but there is no lion experience. And so this morning, if you would indulge me, I'd like to take you there on this lion experience. I want to literally put you in the shoes of Daniel to see if you can stand fearless like him in the face of hungry lions. In this ride, per se, in this adventure, in this experience, there are three different situations that I'm going to put you in. And in each of these three situations, I want you to think what would I do when I am in this scenario? If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is a very familiar passage to many of us as we continue our series in the book of Daniel. As you're turning to Daniel chapter 6, let me update you on where we are historically. The Persians have defeated and conquered the Babylonians. That happened at the end of chapter 5 of the book of Daniel. King Cyrus I, also called Darius the Mede, is king of the Persian Empire. And after his conquest, he settles down. He's going to do some governing. And that's where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 3. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 reads this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom... 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to settle him over the whole realm." Darius began to subdivide his massive kingdom into 120 districts or satraps. Each of these districts would report to one of three governors, of whom Daniel was appointed as one of three governors. 
perhaps because of his great administrative skills or because of his trustworthiness, the king was thinking about making Daniel the prime minister, the chief governor over the other three, over the entire Persian kingdom. You know, I've read this chapter many a times in my Christian life. And this time, as I was preparing for it, I began to chuckle. I thought, how amazing. And sometimes you, you, you gleam spiritual truths that you had not seen before. And I read this again, I thought, how crazy. This is how amazing our God is. Our God does not change people when He wants to use them. He changes entire empires. Think about this. Daniel was in the courts of the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was highly esteemed, made prime minister. Nebuchadnezzar's son and son-in-law had no use for him, King Nabonidus and King Belshazzar. And we talked about this last week. And so Daniel went into retirement. But God wanted to use Daniel to be his mouthpiece, to be a witness, to be his testimony because of his life. You know, if I was someone else and I was in charge, I'd call someone else. Someone younger. Daniel's 80 years old or more at this time. Pick someone else, God. But God says, no, I want to use Daniel. But God, the Persians are a new empire. The Babylonians king had no more use for him. God says, no problem. I'm not going to call someone else. I'll just change empires. And so, again, Daniel is being used by God. Well, we begin the lion experience, and I take you to the first experience, and it begins in verse 4 to verse 5. And so the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of God. These other leaders were jealous of the rise of Daniel in the land of Persia. And so they sought to find a reason to disqualify Daniel from leadership. And so they scrutinized his life. In a sense, they set the paparazzi on him. Every aspect of his life was scrutinized. Every detail, every skeleton, every aspect of any hidden closet. They searched the life of Daniel to its minutest detail to find at least one thing to disqualify Daniel from the service of the king. And you know what they found? They found absolutely nothing. They found nothing that they could pin Daniel on. Wow. Can you imagine that? You see, the first experience of the lion experience is a scenario of life examination. You can't get to the lions until you get to this first scenario, which is life examination. And so put yourself in the shoes of Daniel. If there were people who wanted to find fault in your life to disqualify you from the service of the Lord, would they find anything in your life to disqualify you? If the spotlight was put on your life And every minute detail of your life was exposed. Would they find fault in it? That's a scary, scary thought. That's a scary experience when you talk about life examination. I don't know about you, but I Google myself every now and then. Not because I'm egotistical. But I want to find out what's out there. 
And there's some strange things that are out there. And there are some interesting things that are written about you. But praise the Lord, by the grace of God, nothing that would disqualify from ministry. Think about Googling yourself. Look at the internet, search. Or look at your community. What's being said about you? What are the skeletons in your closet? What are the things people can pin you on? I know that a lot of you are not into U.S. presidential politics, but I am, and uh, there is a presidential candidate running for the Republican nomination, one of the two parties in the U.S., a man by the name of Herman Cain, a Christian, a deacon, one who sang in the church choir and, and spoke openly about his faith. He was the former CEO of a large pizza company, and the Christians flocked to him in the U.S., and he, he rose from almost obscurity to, to front-runner status. In obscurity, everyone thought he was, he was great. But as he was put into the, the front-runner position, the spotlight turned into his life. People began to look at his life under a microscope. And guess what they found? They found some pretty ugly things. Women came out who accused him of sexual harassment when they worked for him. A woman came out recently accusing him of a 13-year marital affair. And just two weeks ago, he finally dropped out of the presidential race. When the heat is on, and when the media is on, and when the spotlight is on your life, what will they see? We're all under the spotlight, whether you like it or not. And yes, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No, there are you. And yet we are saved by the grace of God. But yet, whether you like it or not, you are under the spotlight of this world. Because that is what the world is looking at. They say, you're a Christian? Well, I'm going I'm to look at your life under a microscope. And so the question is, will you be a fragrance or will you be a stench in the eyes of this world? As we mentioned a few weeks ago, to be able to stand boldly and fearless before the Lord, the character of someone must be above reproach. There must be clear consciousness. Or else the evil one, Satan, will use it to blackmail you. And the moment you're ready to step out by faith to be bold for the Lord, he's going to say, uh-uh, don't you go stepping out boldly for the Lord because I have something on you and I'm going to expose you and I'm going to embarrass you. And so do we do. We pull back. The wonderful thing as Christians is that we have the saving and redemptive blood of Jesus Christ which washes away our sin. And we get to do a do-over. There's a renewal of life. And a renewal of lifestyle. A renewal of life and a renewal of lifestyle. And yet so many Christians make a mockery of our so-called life change. When the spotlight is turned on us, what will it reveal? That's a scary, scary experience. For Daniel, they did find one flaw, if you can call it a flaw. The one flaw of Daniel was that he loved God too much. That he was too committed to God. Can you imagine that? That the only thing that they can find wrong about you is that you love God too much. And guess what? That's not too far-fetched from what the world believes today. For the world today, it is wrong if you love God too much. Right? Oh, you're one of those religious types. You're one of those Jesus freaks. All you do is go to church all day and then Bible study. Get a life. For the world, that's a flaw. And so if you can only have one flaw, there it is. 
the flaw that you love Jesus too much. You see, the first experience in the lion experience is to look at our character. And what do we see in the mirror? Can we even move on with the adventure if we can't get past this first pit stop? To look ourselves in the mirror and say, where's my life? If you ever go to Korea, there is a, I wouldn't call it a tourist attraction, but uh, it's a place called the Museum of Martyrs, and very few tour groups go there. But there were many martyrs uh, in Korea, people who died for their faith in Jesus Christ. And in this Museum of Martyrs, at the very end, there's, there's a wall of portraits, portraits of many of those who have died for their faith in Jesus Christ in Korea. At the end of this line of portraits is another portrait, but there's no picture there. It's a mirror. And you're supposed to stand there and look at yourself. And there are these words, are you willing to be a martyr for Jesus Christ? You see, when we look at our own selves face to face, it's a very scary thing. And yet that is the first scenario or the first part of the lion experience. As you look at yourself, where are you in your character? Can anyone find anything by which to hang you on? Experience number two in the lion adventure. In verses six to nine, these leaders needed some way to trap Daniel before the king suddenly made him the prime minister. And so in verses 6 to 9, they sweet-talked the king, uh, appealing to his ego, and said, Hey, king, you should write a law that states that whoever prays to any other gods or man in 30 days, except to you, O king, they shall be thrown into the den of lions. And so the king of Persia, without thinking through the consequences, said, Hey, that's pretty good. It's a good idea. I do want to be honored. I've been pretty good. I'm the greatest king in Persia. I just defeated the Babylonian empires and and pride got to him. And in his rush, he signed this law. And the satraps had him. Because according to Persian law, unlike the Babylonians, when a law is signed, even the king of Persia is subject to that law. Verse 10, the pivotal verse in this chapter Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, would you underline, circle, highlight that phrase? Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew, he knew that the law was in place. What did he do? The Bible says in verse 10, he went home. And in his upper room with the windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees and he prayed three times that day. He prayed and notice he gave thanks before God as was his custom since early days. Would you circle, underlight, highlight that last phrase? As was his custom since early days. Then these men, verse 11, assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Daniel knew that the law was written. And sometimes we read the Bible too fast that we forget the details. Some of us think, well, Daniel maybe didn't know about the law. Why would he be so blatant and open the window for everyone to see? I'd pray in my closet. I'd still pray, but at least pray in my closet. You know, you know, Daniel could have pleaded ignorance. I didn't know there's a new law. I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. But the Bible 
is so clear because God wants us to know that Daniel knew about this law. Daniel knew it was a trap. He knew the consequences. And so he had a decision to make. Would he continue to pray as he always had done? Or would he try to squirm his way out? And without hesitation, the Bible simply said he prayed. He knew and then he prayed. He prayed as was his custom since his early days. Daniel was more than 80 years old at this time. We conjecture that he was taken captive at the age of 16. So he'd been praying for more than 60 years. 60 years he'd been praying regularly. And so his attitude is, why stop now? Daniel was fearless in the face of consequence. You know, oftentimes we as Christians are have unfounded thoughts of what would happen if we stepped out boldly for Christ. What if it was revealed that we were Christians? What would happen to us? Would we lose that business deal? What if someone sees us pray in public? Heaven forbid that we pray as a family before we eat. What if they laugh at us? How will we handle the situation? What if, what if, what if, what if? The reality is, most in this world don't care. But even if they did care, what would you do? You see, the second experience in the lion adventure is what we call a catch-22 situation. The English idiom, catch-22. You see, catch-22 refers to two decisions that you have to make. And each of those decisions have a dire consequence. It's a catch-22. You can't win. If you pray, you get thrown in the lion's den. If you don't pray, then you give up your testimony of over 60 years and do not honor God. What do you do? You see, the ex second experience of the lion adventure that I want you to step into Daniel's shoes is if you were put in that situation, honestly speaking to your own self, what would you do? I know what i do. If I'm being honest with you, I'm praying in the closet. I'm praying with my eyes open. I'm not folding my hands anymore. I'm changing my routine in prayer. I won't pray audibly. I'm praying quietly. I'm thinking of every other way to circumvent this issue. And yet God will still be happy with me. But when put into this situation, would you stand up alone for what is right, even if you have to stand up alone? That's what our choir just sang. Will you be the one to answer to his call? Will you be the one to stand when everyone else has fallen? You see, my friends, it's so difficult to be the only one standing. We, we will stand. We're willing to stand. We're willing to make the right decision if everyone else makes the right decision. But you see, if we're the only one, it's embarrassing and it's hard. You, you stand out. Everyone looks at you. I'll give you an example. I'm going to make someone stand up here at church in this 11 o'clock service. You're praying, Lord, please don't call on me. Don't let him know my name. Kevin, would you stand up? Kevin Thang, just stand up. Just stand up. You're tall. You stand out. You're a handsome, good-looking guy. And would you just stand up for the rest of the service? Just stand there. It's awkward, isn't it? Stand there. Everyone's looking at you. 
Everyone else is seated down, but you're standing up. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? A little bit embarrassing. Some of you are praising God right now that I didn't call on you. Because harbor the thought that somehow that you'll be picked out to be the one who stands up for Christ. It's not easy to be the one who stands up. But yet that's exactly what we're called to do. In a situation where you have to stand up, will you be the one to do so? Kevin, you can sit down, thanks. It's not easy. And yet many of the catch-22 situations in our Christian life are really not that at all. But we put ourselves in those situations. Often the decision is very clear. Do you obey Christ? Or do you follow the world? It's not a catch-22. It's you obey God. But when we begin to waver, when we begin to have second thoughts, there, the evil one gets us. Yep, he's wavering. He's not sure. Let's get him. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the Daniel diet, the three steps to be able to stand fearless. You remember what they are. Step one, resolve. So verse 10 reminds us, Daniel resolved. He decided, he convicted long time ago that he would never defile his faith, that he would always stand up even though no one stood up with him. He resolved. Step two, that's what we have in verse 10 and verse 11. Ask God for help. He asked God for help. He was praying and he prayed often three times a day for more than 60 years. And step three, see God work. And we're going to see that a little bit later. Daniel is going to see God work. He stood up against the laws of Persia because the law of God is more important. And there we have a side note, a principle. We are to follow the laws that our government has set as governments are instituted by God. Unless government institutes a law that violates the rules that God has set for us, then and only then are we allowed to break with civil disobedience those rules because God's laws are higher than man's laws. Notice also verse 10 and verse 11. Daniel prays two prayers. The first thing in verse 10, the first prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. He knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before God. Can you imagine that? In the midst of his trials, in the midst of his difficulties, he says, Lord, thank you. Thank you for putting me in this situation. Thank you for allowing me to be able to stand alone. I can't do that. And the next prayer in verse 11, they found Daniel praying. And what was he doing? Making supplication. Prayers of supplication. Supplication means to ask. Daniel is not some sort of super Christian, superman of God. He's like you and me. And Daniel must have felt the, the enormous pressure as any man would feel. And he says, Lord, I, I need your strength. I need your help. I'm 80 years old. The lions will tear me apart. I need your help. Because I want to be a good witness for you. Let me ask you, how many of you in your prayers of supplication often pray like I do? 
God, heal me, heal me, answer my request, take this pain away, take this trial away, take this tribulation away. We pray that. But how many of you pray, Lord, would you give me the grace and the faith to be a great witness for you as I go through this trial? Would you help me, God, just so that I will not shame your name, that I will bring glory to your name? Would you make me a great witness for you? It's a tough prayer to pray. But I believe Daniel was praying that in this prayer of supplication. Help me, Lord, not to waver. Help me to stand firm. Help me to be a great witness for you before these lions. Experience number two. What will you do when you are put into a situation of obeying God and suffering the consequences or not doing anything and enjoying your life? What choice will you make? Because unless you deal with experience number two, you don't get to go to the fun part of experience number three in the lion adventure. Experience three in the lion adventure. We actually have the lions now. In verse 12 to 15, these satraps and governors come before the king and they remind, good king, remember that law you signed? Well, we found a violator, and his name is Daniel. Now, in verse 14, if we had time to read it, you can sense that there is a special affinity. There's a special relationship between Darius and Daniel. And in verse 14, the king tries to save him, but to no avail. Perhaps he called on all of the, the, the smartest lawyers of the kingdom. And he says, would you come look for a loophole in this law? That's what verse 14 says. He labored until the going down of the sun to deliver him. He tried to save Daniel. But that law was so tightly written that he could not. Verse 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, don't think that Darius somehow became a believer in the one true God. But it has the idea that I, Darius, Daniel, I, I've tried my best. I, I've gotten all the human wisdom and the power that has been afforded me as king of Persia. And, and I failed to help you, Daniel. May your God help you. It's an acknowledgement that I can't do it anymore. Humanly, as the most powerful man in this world, I cannot save you. I can't go against the law that I've written and signed. May, may your God save you. Your God must save you, Daniel. He must. One thing very interesting here. Do you notice that the Bible does not record anything that Daniel says? Not until verse 21. Nothing. Daniel doesn't say anything. Why? I've thought about that. Why? Daniel's three friends spoke. Daniel spoke before King Nebuchadnezzar. He spoke before King Belshazzar. We talked about that last week. But, but nothing. Daniel could have said, hey, don't worry, Darius. I'll get out of this one. Don't worry, Darius. It's God's will. Nothing. In fact, there is no offer from Darius. 
Daniel, maybe you didn't hear the law the first time. We'll, we'll give you an exemption clause. If, if you don't pray from now until the end of the 30 days, you're, you're okay. You're good to go. Remember Nebuchadnezzar gave the three friends another chance? Bow now and I'll save you from the fiery furnace. No second chance for Daniel. Why? Because Daniel's actions spoke for themselves. Daniel's actions spoke for themselves. There was no need of second chances. There was no need of explanation. Daniel knew the law, knew the consequences, and yet he prayed. And I've said this often in time. Do not impress people with your words. Impress them with your life. Many of us are great eloquent speakers. We can talk the talk and people will come to the assumption we are holy Christian people. But it is not our words that determine our lifestyle. It is the life that we live and the actions that we take. And Daniel didn't have to say anything. Why? Because his actions spoke for themselves. Now, if I were to put words in Daniel's mouth to answer the king, may your God save you. Perhaps I can use the words of his three friends when they were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Darius, my God can save me from the lion's den. But if he does not save me, I will die by lion. But I will never stop praying. Those were the words, if you remember, of his three friends. My God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. But if he chooses not to, if he doesn't, we will still never worship your idol. My God can save me from the lion's den, but if he chooses not to, I'll die by a lion, but I will continue to pray. And so his fate was sealed. Look at verse 17 to verse 20. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Note that. that was, there was a finality to the closing of the lion's pit. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and, and no musicians were brought before him. He wasn't in a parting mood. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and, and went in haste to the den of the lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, 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 servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel was sealed into that den with no way of escape. There was no way of knowing when he would be rescued. There was no rescue party coming. That rock was sealed with a signet ring. No one was to touch that rock, lest they be killed as well. Do not read what you know about this story into the narrative. We know that Daniel only spent one night there. But Daniel didn't know that. All Daniel knew was that he was being thrown into the lion's pit. And he would die there. He didn't know that the king would come and look for him. Perhaps the king finally remembered, hey, the law never stated how long he was to be in a lion's den because they assume everyone would die. Maybe I'll check tomorrow morning. But he only discovered that or remembered that or thought about that after the fact. So he's in the lion's den. Or else he would have whispered to Daniel, hey, Daniel, 
I know it's tough in there. But if you can just fight off the lions for seven hours tonight, I'll come and get you tomorrow. Put yourself in his shoes. If you knew that tomorrow morning you will be rescued, it changes the perspective. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll just stand up on a ledge. I won't go to sleep tonight. I'll stand up on a high ledge where the lions can't get to me. Or maybe I just grab a bunch of rocks and, and throw it at them. And maybe they'll keep away. Well, I've seen the cartoons. Uh, the guy just has a chair and he pushes back all the lions. Y- you see, if I, if I know when the trial will end, it's easy. I just keep faith until that time. But here's the reality of the situation. Daniel didn't know. The stone sealed the pit. And that was it, he thought, for an unknown period of time. Can you imagine an experience like that? Can you imagine an experience where you do not know the outcome? You don't know how long it's going to be. And that is the lion experience. It is not a fun experience. It is a scary experience. Now, let me give you another illustration that maybe help you on this. I don't know how many of you like riding roller coasters, especially the, the death-defying roller coasters. I, I actually surprisingly enjoy that. I enjoy the ones where they, they twist you backwards, loop-de-doop. The ones where your feet hang, those are a lot of fun. You know, the, the rides in Enchanted Kingdom, those are, those are for kids. I'm talking about big roller coasters where they drop you 20, 30 feet like the Texas Giant. I don't know how many of you love those things. You know, those, those boats that only go 180 degrees. I, I need the ones that go 360. Those are the fun ones. Part of the fun of roller coasters is that you, you invite your friends along, even though they're scared. And you invite them and, and you play chicken with them. Come on, it's a lot of fun. And part of the fun of these roller coasters that are death-defying is that you know how long it's going to be. It won't be too bad. Just close your eyes for two minutes. It'll be over. Right? We go on these rides, all macho, thinking we're good, because we know it's not going to last more than three minutes at the most. Right? Roller coasters don't last more than that. Would you step in a roller coaster if you didn't know how long the ride will be? Would you step in a roller coaster that went for three hours till it stopped? Would you step in a roller coaster that lasted overnight? Of course not. That's crazy. No one would ever do that. You see, we can all exhibit faith and we can all exhibit tenacity and boldness when we know how long the trial is. But the lion experience is an experience of uncertainty. The lion experience, the third experience, is an experience of uncertainty. Not knowing what will happen, not knowing what will end. And that is a scary thought. That is why, my friends, standing fearless and bold for the Lord is a scary experience. Because it is so filled with uncertainty. We don't know that we will lose our job for holding on to the convictions of our faith. We don't know if we will be ridiculed. We don't know if they're going to unfriend us because we write one too many Bible verses on our wall page. We don't. The lion experience is an experience of uncertainty. 
But there is one thing that is certain in this uncertainty. The one thing that is, uns- that is certain in this line of experience is that we know who controls the experience. We know who controls the experience. It's not some teenager earning minimum wage who presses the start and stop button on the roller coaster, who if he's texting or, or calling his girlfriend, makes the ride go two or three minutes longer than it's supposed to be. The one who is controlling the experience of uncertainty is the one who created this world. And the one who loves us and cares so much for us that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Do you not think that he would care for our experience? When you do not recognize who controls the experience, you will be scared. You will be angry. I think my dad has shared this before. I'm not sure how many of you know the incident. Many years ago, he was uh, here in the Philippines and he had to get an MRI. And as those of you who have gotten MRI, you need to have a, a dye that's uh, injected into your veins so that the MRI can trace the dye. Well, unfortunately, the technician missed the vein and injected the dye into his muscle. He didn't feel it at first, and so he was wheeled into the, the MRI. It's almost like being entombed, if you know what the MRI looks like. And there in the MRI, there are safety features. There is someone who, a technician who monitors, who looks in. There's a call button in case there's an emergency. Uh, so that if you get claustrophobic or you begin to panic, you come out. Whereas he's getting his MRI, uh, the dye is burning his muscle. There's a chemical burn. And so he's hurting. And so he's pressing the call button for the attendant to end the procedure. But to no avail. Nothing was happening. He began to bang on the the outer uh, shell of the MRI. Nothing. Long story short, the technician was texting. It was not looking at the monitor screen or paying attention. Can you imagine how frustrating that must have been? How angry he was when they finally recognized that he was in trouble. That's the same situation A lot of us think God is that sort of teenager who goes off to lunch, starts the ride, goes off to lunch, comes back after three hours and say, are you finished yet? You enjoy? But no. The God who controls the experience of uncertainty is the God who loves us and cares for us and His grace continues to pour out in our life. Look how he handles the experience for Daniel, verse 21 to 23. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done nothing wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den And no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed, note this, in his God. Daniel says, my God is the one who has controlled my experience. God cushioned my fall. He was probably violently thrown into the pit of the lion. A huge pit. A fall that any 80-year-old man 
would have bones broken in multiple places. And yet God caught him and, and cushioned his fall. God sent one angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel was relaxed. It was exciting. Whenever you get thrown into a lion's den, that's pretty exciting. It would be exciting for me. But Daniel said to the king, My God has saved me. My God is in control. He probably slept that night and slept very well while the king was walking around with a sleepless night. See, Daniel was saved in the lion's den because he believed in his God who was able to control the experience. So the question I posed to you in the past is, what do you believe about your God? What do you believe about what he can do for you? How big is your God for you? Who do you believe is in control of your lion experience? The two questions posed to Daniel, I hope your God will deliver you, Darius says. And here again, Daniel, has your God delivered you? The first words of Daniel, absolutely, absolutely, my God has delivered me. And I'm trying to get that excitement in the voice of Daniel. I'll put it into a, a teenager's term. I'll put it into a teenage Scenario coming off a death defying roller coaster experience. Someone interviews them. How was the ride? Awesome. Let's do it again. And that's the force and the emphasis of how Daniel came out of the lion's den. Daniel, Daniel, are you saved? Absolutely. Awesome. He didn't say that, but awesome. And if you could say it, let's do it again. Because my God is in control of the experience. Do you have that attitude when you are in the lion experience? Because that experience, all joking aside, is a difficult experience. When we do not know how long the trial will be, when for many the ride is only 30 seconds, but somehow God makes our ride five minutes. It's not fair. When for some, they get sick, but for others, their ride is the ride of terminal cancer. For some, the ride is marital argument. For some, the ride is the spouse leaves them. For some, the ride is a kid who talks back. For some, the ride is the child leaves home. It doesn't make sense to us when for some, the ride is longer. But you see, my friends, the only thing to cling on to when we can't cling on to anything else is to understand that it is God who is operating the adventure of our life. Do you have this attitude when you are in the lion experience? Can you say even the most difficult of experiences? Awesome. It was hard. But you know what? Let's do it again. Now, it may be hard to say, but it's that attitude that says, God, I still trust you. If I were to go through the same thing again, I know that you will get me through. If you can't 
right now have that attitude. That's okay. It's a tough one to learn. This adventure is a lifelong adventure. But may it be that one day you will have this attitude because you trust the one who controls the ride of your life. Well, in any good adventure experience, the bad guy must always be brought to justice. Look at verse 24. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they came to the bottom of the den. These were not mechanical lions. These were not the cute, cuddly, stuffed animal lions that you have. These are not the cartoonish lions that are drawn in the children's books. These were hungry, voracious lions who tore apart limbs of people before they even hit the ground. But you know, as we close the lion adventure, as we come to the end of the ride... This adventure and this experience is not about your enjoyment. You may enjoy it. It may scare the living daylights out of you. You may never want to go through it again. But at the end of the day, it is not about your enjoyment. It is about God being glorified. Look at verse 25 to 28. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on this earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So then Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. God is glorified. At the end of the day, we stand fearless and bold because we desire God to be glorified. When God is glorified, we are blessed. The Bible says Daniel continued to enjoy success even in the reign of the Persian kings. Even today, if you are go, able to go to Iran or modern-day Persia, there's a tomb to Daniel. He was so revered amongst the Persians. In standing fearless, you will all have to undergo the lion experience. And as you go through the line experience, remember the three scenarios. First, look at your character to see if you are ready. Will your only fault be that you love God too much? Second, when you're caught in a catch-22 situation, will you choose God? Will you choose the world? Have you resolved today, this morning, early in your life, that you will always follow God, that you will never compromise your faith? Finally, thirdly, Remember who is in control of your experience. Remember who will control, who, who is in control of your uncertain experience. The only certainty 
in this uncertain life. If you remember this, you're in for the greatest, most exciting adventure in your life. When you remember this, you'll be able to take your hands, gripping the chair in fear, and be able to let go and put your hands up and enjoy the thrill that is a life of fearlessness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. A challenge to me and I hope a challenge to all that in this adventure called life, we will live it for your glory. And for all of us who enter into the lion adventure, may we be able to stand firm for you, being witnesses in this world, bringing honor and glory to your name, trusting in the one who controls our life and controls our experience, faithful to the life you call us to. Make us blessings of your peace in this world. May each person here be willing to stand alone when all have fallen away. May we each be found fearless before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.